and welcome to the Edu Switchboard podcast. I'm your host, Jana Parker, licensed educational psychologist, wellness and executive function coach, and parent consultant. Visit jplep.com to become a member of my community or to access my assessment or coaching services. I'm welcoming today Dr. Danielle Washenka to the Edu Switchboard podcast. Welcome, Dr. Washenka. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Washenka, I met because she works in my building, but not anymore because of COVID. So she has moved out to um, a, another practice, uh, but she is a therapist in the area who brings a really unique um just a, a unique kind of twist and emphasis to her practice. And she serves um, children, she serves adults. And I'm just really excited to have you here because um, I think you could be a huge resource to families in our area and throughout California and Colorado. Um, so I'm really interested to ask you some questions and hear more about your practice. Yeah, thanks so much. You're welcome. All right. Well, um, can I call you Danielle or do you want me to call you Dr. Yeah, Washenka? I ask, yeah, I ask clients usually Dr. Danielle, Dr. D, Dr. Washenka, whatever they feel comfortable with. So, okay. Sure. Well, Dr. Danielle, um, <laughs> tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, yeah. So in a nutshell, I'm a licensed uh, clinical psychologist. As you mentioned, I have licenses in Colorado and California. And um, I sort of have a few specialties, um, child and adolescent health, um, clinical psychology, and something called behavioral medicine or health psychology, which we can sort of get into a little bit more. Yeah, awesome. Can you, uh, so first speak to that um, child adolescent health psychology. I wanna know kind of how your, your twist there. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, it's, it'll probably be helpful if I draw in a little bit about my educational background, Please, um, yeah. I think that's where I sort of uh, developed this passion. Um, so <laughs> just if people know me personally outside of my profession, I'm a people person. I really enjoy interacting with people, getting to know them, and I really value, um, you know, everyone's stories. And I think people are really unique. Um, I don't really believe in the philosophy where one size fits all um, in anything. Um, and I think that's also demonstrated on my website too, sort of like one size fits one. That's the way that I think about um, symptoms, interventions, things like that. So I think a lot about the uniqueness of people. Um, but where I was sort of interested in terms of my education was that it seemed to be like there were only two people. There were the people, the child folks that did child and adolescent work. And then there were the adult people. And to my mind, that didn't really make so much sense because I'm pretty integrative and holistic. And we see that, um, folks see that in my interventions too. I'm really drawing from a lot of sort of theoretical backgrounds. And the great thing is that um, every adult was once a child and every child is still that child. And we don't sort of lose that. We just build upon that. Um, <laughs> this is gonna encapsulate some of the ways that I work. I use a lot of metaphors. So a metaphor, if you will, um, is a photocopy machine. And you sort of, no matter how many times you photocopy. So now I know we're all sort of um, in home offices or working remotely. So I don't know if people have those, those full big Xerox copy machines. <laughs> um, but if you have one laying around, if you know what I'm talking about, maybe I'm, I'm, we I'm can dating myself. Visualize. We can visualize <laughs> right. it. <laughs> right. right. You, can, you can draw the image. <laughs> 
no matter how many times you do the photocopy, how dark or distorted it gets, the original imprint is still there in some way. And that's how I think about folks that you know, truly gather experiences throughout life, right? As an adult, you're gathering experiences. The things that were sort of foundational don't go away. And I think that's where folks sometimes get stuck. Um, and I'll right. sort of bring it back in because I know I'm, I'm, go I'm going tangential here. That's okay. I love tangents. Um, go for it. Great. Great. So getting back to sort of the child and adolescent piece, it was important for me because I was always interested um, in biology and behavioral theory and sort of all the underpinnings of folks, right? Behaviors, why things become cyclical, why things are stuck, why a person can't get, what are the barriers to get out of a certain situation? Why was it there to begin with? Why did those barriers get created? What was protective about it, right? So that's how I think about people um, in my sort of clinical and professional capacity. And so what I noticed is that it was sort of either adults or child and adolescent. If you were doing health or if you were doing clinical psychology, um, you know, I'm sure folks have been listening to the podcast, but that sort of means more of the classical psychiatric symptoms or clinical health, meaning um, chronic pain, illness, sudden injury, bodily integrity, harm, things of that nature. And so I was sort of along that um, middle ground. We were learning everything about all the classic psychiatric symptoms, as well as all the medical stuff, you know, being embedded, going into hospital visits, doing all of that. And I recognize that there are people of all ages that are experiencing this. And even somebody that comes and, you know, they're in their forties, let's say, and they have um, panic attacks. They could have had something that was, um, you know, a, a tremendous injury or illness in their childhood that really sort of allowed, you know, those photocopies, <laughs> those yeah. prints were there embedded in them. And so that's where, you know, that's how Better Health Therapy really came to be formed because I wanted to integrate all of that and be able to serve folks at any point, whether it's a parent who's concerned about a child, they have a new diagnosis, something like that, or, you know, somebody who's just moved in transition as a young professional to the Bay Area and has had all these sort of disconcerting experiences. So the idea there is that there's better health that can be achieved emotionally, psychologically, psychologically, physically, of course, right? Uh, very much a believer in mind-body connection. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that. And I, and I should have said at the beginning that the name of your business is, and your practice is Better Health Therapy. And I love that because now that you say it, you know, you think like, oh, Better Health Therapy, but it really is a metaphor. Like it, you really are saying like, I want you to, you know, I'm helping you have better health, you know, it's not just like a noun, better health therapy. It's like, a, it's almost like a verb, <laughs> you know, like. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It was very intentional. So I was struggling a lot in the beginning to figure out how is this gonna sort of capture the essence of me and what I'm hoping to achieve. Not every psychologist or therapist, as you know, is the same. Everyone has a different style and flavor. And I love how you say also it's a metaphor because it truly is. I use so many metaphors in my work. I think people are able to grasp that. It's a little bit easier to hold emotional content when you push it into a metaphor. And then you can sort of play around with the metaphor, right? Like what's the, what are the things that are gunking up my photocopier, right? So that's sort of symbolic of maybe past traumas or something like that. It's a little bit easier to talk about. Right, right. What kinds of um, what kinds of things are you noticing with your clients right now, be them the kids and, or the teenagers who are dealing with this past year 
being home most of the time, on screens a lot of the time. And then what are you finding with their parents, you know, and kind of how are you helping people through that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think about it like, what are the kids and adolescents dealing with, parents, young professionals, and things like that. And I think some of them are overlapping, but certainly they all have their sort of unique challenges. So I think you sort of um, mentioned it before, screen time, right? I think we're seeing a lot of screen fatigue and also misuse or uh, confusion around screens and what that means. Um, I think it goes part and parcel with um, developmental milestones that are not sort of being met. So I think about the um, fact that one of my specialties is anxiety. And so a lot of my social anxiety kiddos and adolescents are waiting to get to middle school or get to high school or get to college. And there's something sort of removed um, about that experience and that transition now that we're social distance learning. So there aren't those natural, um, you know, we have to work much harder, for example, to do an exposure <laughs> for, you know, socializing and, you know, exposures for phobias and even OCD, right, especially contamination. So there's so many things that are nuanced, but I think folks, um, you know, overall are struggling with the boundaries because we have, you know, from global, we have um, the impact of global health and the idea of, you know, sort of what are the parameters and they're sort of ambiguous and they're changing and they're not, you know, as soon as we get to this normal, something else sort of happens and we have to adapt. So I think, you know, all of those are compounded, right? You have the lack of developmentally met milestones, which would have appropriated the ability to build more resilience than, you know, we would have liked kiddos to be in. And I'm seeing some developmental shifts almost downward, um, almost like a regression, if you will, if you'll yeah. allow me to sort of use that word yeah. to encapsulate what I mean. Um, and it's it's heartbreaking as a practitioner and it's heartbreaking as a parent. So getting back to your question of how I'm supporting parents and that we're having a lot more meetings. I mean, in Better Health Therapy, I really believe parents and, and clients, everyone needs to be empowered. They need to know sort of what I'm doing. They need to feel free to check in. They need to say like, hey, what's up with this behavior? Or can you, by the way, integrate this behavior into the treatment plan? Because you have this one treatment plan, but I'm noticing this other thing. It needs to be collaborative and flexible, right? So in, in regards to that, I'm supporting parents in normalizing this, you know, um, one of the things that parents are sometimes asking or having an idea about is um, sort of a perseveration around where they used to be, but the whole world has changed. We're almost in a year of extreme change. Um, trauma, because we don't know when it's over, what's going on, there's conflicting news and evidence, and it's so confusing, and, you know, and then there, you have the young people that want that immediate gratification and reward through the phone. So I think, that, you know, that's just sort of one dyad or dynamic that I'm noticing with teens and even younger kiddos and their parents. And then, of course, there's burnout. So a lot of young professionals and adults and even the parents fall into that category, a lot of lack of motivation, confusion around boundaries in the home. Now everyone is in the home constantly, all the time. Um, and I keep emphasizing that just because this phrase has come out that it's a new normal, it doesn't mean that suffering or pain or depression or anxiety needs to now be normal. Right. And in my experience, it doesn't mean that once you know COVID restrictions are lifted or changed, those things go away. 
right? Mm -hmm. Here's another yeah. metaphor. <laughs> so there's something called Occam's uh, broom. I didn't make this up. Um, this was, I think, like a physicist or a molecular biologist. Anyway, they came up with um, some way to, again, use a metaphor. If you've ever heard that idiom, like sweeping things under the rug. So what do yeah. we do that with? We do that with a broom. <laughs> and it's called Occam's broom. And so the idea is those things don't go away. The dust and the dirt and all that grime that is put under the rug, eventually you're going to trip over that if you keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it down, right? So this idea of new normal doesn't sort of jive well with better health therapy for what it's worth, because it doesn't <laughs> have to be the sort of normative experience, I don't think, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that you were just talking about that I've really been thinking a lot about is how um, developmental milestones aren't being met because um, kids aren't participating as actively in their lives, you know, and screens have taken so much over um, their free time that they, I, I keep coming back to this phrase I keep, I've used a bunch of times, but it's like they're passively living, right? So like in every free moment, instead of getting up and doing something, it's so easy and, and it becomes habitual to just get touch the screen of the thing that you want to do rather than the thing that you were supposed to be doing or you have a break so you switch to the you know the the website or the app that is you know that you've been dying to do but you've been in english class or something you know so mm -hmm. and then and then they never get up and they never do right. anything and they're not right. with their friends and they're not with i mean thing they're so they're just they're not learning these uh, skills and having these responsibilities that require them to move from place to place to show up to, you know, everything is just Absolutely. sitting in one place like that movie, Wally. Wally? Is that, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where they just sit yeah. and they get like carted around in their seats right. and everybody gets, right. gets <laughs> larger. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love what you say. You encapsulate it in the phrase passive living. And I, I think I've used a couple of um, different phrases like reflexive living, because the opposite in my mind is living intentionally with intention and showing up and being who you want to be. Um, another metaphor that pops into my mind that I've been using a lot, and it seems to come in waves, you know, like it, it, within the time, I know right now in California, it's sort of raining and dreary. <laughs> so I think I, I notice patterns, um, you know, within weeks where a lot of clients are down. And then when they're doing well, they're all sort of doing well. I think the sunlight has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. But one of the metaphors that I use is if you've ever seen, and I wish I had it with me to show you, um, those nested dolls, like the Russian um, nested dolls, I think oh, yeah. the other ethnicities. So I think about it like we see um, the bigger dolls and then the small ones. And I really think about core issues um, as being sort of the last nested doll, the really tiny one, that sort of everything fits into that. And at first glance, a parent may be inclined to, for example, as we were talking about phones, take away phone privileges or screen time privileges because the child, their adolescent, their teen, their kiddo isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. I think about what they're supposed to be doing, procrastinating is the opposite of that, as this first or second doll, right? So that's our identified problem. But is that really what the issue is? So I like to look as I'm sure you know by now, under all the dolls and really just stack them out, take a look and see, well, what do we have here? What is the reason for all these different behaviors? 
And a lot of times in the last uh, month or so, I would say specifically, I think, you know, the winter when there was hope in California, at least that things would sort of open up a little sooner and with the election and what have you, we won't get into that. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things, right? I sort of noticed that procrastination is actually protective of these kids because then they don't have to recognize that they are missing out on those milestones that we're talking about. And that there maybe is some core belief, if you will, to borrow CBT term here, of fear of loneliness, which is being you know, actualized to some extent, right? This is a real thing that's happening. And so a lot of conversation that I'm having with um, parents, they sort of want to know, well, what's the bottom line? How do we make sure we can shape this behavior? Again, to borrow from behavioral terms here, how can we make sure that they do these things? Well, first of all, let's recognize why we're thinking the same goals should apply right now to a kid that's in a total lockdown, is in total isolation. And what is the meaning of that goal being achieved? Can we be flexible about the meaning and the milestones you want your kiddo to meet? right? What's the intention? What's the reason and rationale behind that? So it's sort of, I think about it, like unpacking all the dolls <laughs> and putting it there and recognizing, you know what, the reason that, that my child is procrastinating isn't because they're lazy or have these labels or they're struggling or, you know, they have, you know, they're compounded with learning disabilities. That may not be the reason. The reason is because if they did all their homework, they have a seven hour gap. They have a seven hour gap and they don't have something to fill it up with, right? And then once we recognize what that sort of bigger doll represents, we can of course have different interventions, but it takes that recognition of, well, what is going on and why? That sort of being curious instead yeah. of, oh, I feel pain. Let me just <laughs> look the other way. Let me avoid, or let me rush to fix that pain. You know, pain is a signal in the body. It's telling you something's wrong and it's a blessing to have pain. Um, there are certain physical uh, disorders, they're really rare, where a person doesn't have pain, um, they can die because they don't feel freezing or hot temperatures. Right. They can bruise really easily. They don't know if they're bleeding. Those things are painful. We don't wish them upon anyone if they can avoid it. But there's a real reason why we feel that. And that, you know, that's something to signal us and something to think about, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of pain, and I want to like kind of shift over to wellness, because I think for adults, I understand you have a, I want to hear what your thoughts are about like wellness during this time, what you're working on adults with, with health psychology, um, because I, I think, um, I think you have a lot to say here. And I, when I was reading, when I was reading a little bit about you and um, about how you work, I think it would resonate a lot because I am very much into balance and kind of a well-rounded, you know, nutrition, physical exercise, um, and uh, like just that whole um, mind, body, um, health and wellness and psychology and mental health, you know? So right. um, yeah, talk talk to us about that. Sure, absolutely. Um, another one of my passion points, right? So um, in terms of health and wellness, we have a couple of different categories, right? So health and wellness, um, when God forbid somebody is ill, obviously means one thing. Um, health and wellness, when a person is feeling like they just wanna get better, they want to improve an aspect of their life um, is sort of another, Area. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm traditionally working with um, sort of chronic medical 
illnesses, conditions, injuries, and traumas, and things like that. Uh, but I think your question is more speaking to, well, what about folks that are maybe more interested in the wellness, you know, as it relates to maybe holistic medicine and things like that? Yeah, um, and, 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 um, and I'm also, yes, and um, especially at times like this, where everyone is just, it, like, I mean, people are less motivated to like, get up and go outside or, you know, for fear, but also just because it's easier to stay sitting on the couch or at your desk, you know, and um, just kind of what being at home is doing to people's mental health to where they're like less motivated to like do the activity, um, you know, and like get up and move and get outside and, and um, stuff like that. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, I mean, it sounds like a lot of that burnout and, and, and motivation. So let's start with the research, right? Yeah. We know how useful, how important, and especially now when, you know, unfortunately the fact of COVID is really the suffocation, right? That's the piece of it that's so frightening and we're protecting ourselves with masks outside and social distancing and what have you. It can't be overemphasized enough how important physical activity is at this time. And I recognize that in California, not necessarily in the heart of the winter where I feel like we're at now, but throughout the year generally, a lot of outdoor activity is what's sort of prioritized in terms of physical activity. So the number one thing is we sort of have to shift our mindset and we have to understand it's really great. We're at an advantage because we know a lot of things we're struggling with are behavioral in nature, which means ding, 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 we're in control and we can actually take back the control and be empowered and shift our behaviors. It just takes a little bit of thinking about ourselves as sort of an organism in an environment and how can I shift the environment to change what this organism wants to do behaviorally. So in terms of physical activity, I mean, we know from the research, it's promoting oxygenated blood. It's gonna help a lot with depression. It's gonna fight those you know, COVID blues. Let's be frank. The part of the workout that's the hardest is getting to the workout. Right. Maybe in the middle of the workout, you're thinking, oh my goodness, why did I do this? Why did I do this cycling class? But let's face it, at the end, you feel proud. You feel sweaty. You feel great. You feel pumped. So it's sort of the same thing in terms of the emotional health aspect. So, you know, I'm toggling here. I'm going back to the emotional health and wellness. It's, it's hand in hand, right? Clients are needing to sort of show up and be real, not only about their physical health, about their mental health too, right? And so you mentioned something a little bit earlier about um, motivation, motivation to get off. I'm a firm believer in flexibility. And I saw recent research that also suggests um, if you've known about the sort of the movement of the brain and the new wirings that can be developed, I think they just, um, maybe it's, you know, in the last five years, they have evidence to suggest that we can rewire our brains um, until death. So I think we were thinking about it as a little bit more um, rigid in terms of maybe 30s, 40s, um, when development stops. It, there's really research to suggest now that we can rewire our brains. It's just a matter of working, working to rewire our brains, right? right? So that's sort of like, I think about it as mental hacks. How can we hack the system, right? How can we hack our own mind? <laughs> um, I guess it's really fitting in the Bay Area, right? With all the engineering and what have you around here. Yeah. But so, you know, hackable ways. Um, so one idea, hack the mind, physical activity, right? What does that mean to a person? How are they going to implement that? Those are behavioral strategies we can sort of employ thinking about what you have available for yourself. Um, do you have weights that you can do if you have back to back to back to back meetings? Can you schedule yourself out 15 minute breaks in that? 
So can you be flexible in some way? Can you make um, uh, yourself a schedule where you're walking? Can you utilize technology? It's not all bad, right? If you have some sort of a, a smartwatch or a smart device where you can just have that alarm, just remind yourself, drink water, walk around. So I hear you, if you're homebound or if you're really concerned, there are ways that you can still implement that activity that's gonna break up the monotony of the day, right? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of for motivation, um, and burnout, I think that's really important. I think also another big piece that I'm mentioning to a lot of young professionals and parents and even my teens that I work with, right, is recognizing your expectation. I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the podcast, right? Why are we still expecting this? And are there ways for us to be flexible about what our milestones are in order to celebrate it, in order to feel good about it, um, especially with burnout? For example, I know it seemed like there was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and then a lot of my young professionals were saying, I'm still like in holiday mode. I haven't transitioned back. And I, you know, my response was, well, why did you think it would be so easy to transition back? Where did you go for Christmas again? Oh, you were on your couch. Do you recognize that not having that break is actually impacting you? Did you stop and think and be sort of compassionate with yourself about it and sort of embodying that? So I think that's, you know, a couple of examples that encapsulate what I think wellness is is about yeah. um, and how it's utilized in, in better health therapy. How we I love that because there, you know, what you're saying is they're just little steps that you can take to get such a huge uh, shift in your in the way that you're thinking about things, in the way that your body feels. Um, like there, there are really small things that you can do that have a very large impact on just kind of your health and wellness in general. Yeah, and I'll just add, Jana, um, that I work with a lot of perfectionists also, and then it's sort of a double-edged sword what you said. So I'll just put that caveat there that they then get stuck in this mentality of why can't I do it? It's so simple and little. And the truth is, again, why are you thinking that it's so simple and little for you in this time frame, with these circumstances, yes, they sound simple, but there's a barrier to get it, mm -hmm. and that's okay. There's no shame here. There's no belittling. I mean, I think that's why psychotherapy and psychology is so beautiful because we're not judging you in that way of why aren't you up to expectations. We're thinking about how can we get you there. Right. And for right. me, I'm almost. I think I'm almost more excited than most of my clients when they meet those positive milestones. I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I joke that like Dr. Danielle is also Coach Danielle. So Coach Danielle <laughs> is coming. We're gonna give some tough love. <laughs> but you know, you're getting my. You know, you're my special athlete. You're getting that gold medal in the Olympics. Yeah. That's what I help to train. I help to get you there. That's amazing. You know. Yep. Yep. I I think that we're kindred spirits, you and I, because I feel very similar with. My my clients too. I get so excited. Um, but you know, all of, you know, it's, it's January, right? So all of the research on, you know, new year's resolutions or starting new habits, right? There's all, there's all this, you know, hubbub around the beginning of the year, but when, uh, you know, the things that I've been listening to and just reminding myself are that they are really little things, but you're right to get yourself to do those little things is the hard part. And so right. the, all of those uh, books that I've been listening to and research that I've been reading has been suggesting is like what we already know is that if you can get yourself to just do the very first part of that, like a little tiny mini habit, if you could get yourself to do one push up, if you could get yourself to 
turn on the workout video, like whatever it is that you choose that is the smallest little piece that you can do. And even if you just do that for two minutes, you know, whatever it is you do, you do for two mm -hmm. minutes or you start with the smallest step, you're going to go out on a run. Okay. Well, don't go out on the run. Just put your shoes on, you know, put the running shoes on. So it, and then it starts to get you into, um, into a momentum that you can build over time, you know? So, uh, um, okay. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. I've like had enough. I have so many questions, but I know that we have a little <laughs> bit of a time constraint, so I won't keep you too long. But, um, so, so when does a, per when is the time when a person knows that it's time to come and see you and then how do they find you? Right. So, um, the really unique thing about better health therapy is that the evaluation or the assessment initial intake, these are all synonymous is it's own. There's no sort of compulsory, you know, again, this is customizable. So there's no sort of six week program or anything like that. Um, the way in which the intake and, and the steps work, and then I'll get back to the first question about why a person would consider doing that um, is, you know, this, the following sequence. First, obviously they may find out they're welcome to use the webpage. And I know you have that information. So folks are able to look that up. If they're interested or wanting to explore more, I do a 15 minute phone consultation. That's a time to see, can better health therapy actually help? Do I think it can help? Do we think that this might be a good fit? Not every clinic is gonna be the same fit because every, remember my first soapbox here, every person is their own unique being. And I recognize that, you know, there are moments where I have to put some tough love on and some patients might not like that. Some clients are not invested or interested in that specific um, way of therapy. Um, and if we have time, I have another metaphor for what that <laughs> might look like as well. Um, the music metaphor, if you remember, I'll, I'll, yes. I'll make note of that. Um, and so, you know, once we do that initial intake, it's a very comprehensive intake. Um, I've had clients say, wow, I didn't realize you had so many questions. Well, yeah, I want to get to know you so that we can sort of fast forward to therapy session number 10 in the first session. <laughs> so I want to sort of hit the ground running, right? Especially because I'm looking for sort of um, creation of those Olympic champions even if they haven't been running for 20 years, right? That's sort of what I'm looking for. So I need to know a lot about the potential client or the family. And so I ask, you know, a broad range of questions, including if they've ever been in therapy before. I have uh, two sorts of camps with clients. It tends to cluster folks that have never been in therapy and folks that have been in multiple different modalities, but it hasn't been effective for whatever reason. And I love working with everyone, right? And so I am really interested to know if they have been in therapy, what's worked, what hasn't, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's see what actually was useful, why it was useful. Let's sort of unpack that to think of another <laughs> set yeah. of nested dolls. Yeah. Um, once we get to that intake, it's a 60 minute session They've already filled out questionnaires. I've looked through everything. I already have a list of complete sort of analysis of not only the symptoms in the present, but where I would like to go potentially for treatment based on these other maybe unrelated factors that they're not sort of in tune with, right? Hmm, what happened in sixth grade that she stopped seeing her friend? Hmm, how did the family unit understand the body injury or, you know, the specific um, sudden death of the grandma in this context? Hmm, where, which symptoms sort of like breadcrumbs. I'm looking, you know, in the Hansel and Gretel, I'm following yeah. the trail here and I'm connecting the pieces and saying, oh, it used to look like this one cookie or we're missing the chocolate chips, but this is sort of what the picture looks like. Let's fill in the blanks together. And at that point, I'm telling them, you know, based on everything, that 60 minute interview, 
the comprehensive intake that they've taken the time to fill out the questionnaires, I'm considering a treatment plan and I'm, you know, collaborative. So I'm saying here are the reasons why I think this might work. Actually, they end up usually being two or three phase treatment plans because we have to prioritize, you know, if you're in the middle of a crisis, <laughs> what's going on, but then here's where it's coming from. Here's sort of the downward angle, the downward mm -hmm. triangle. This is, you know, it's all being funneled down to this core issue, sort of like the nested doll um, analogy. So to get back to your um, earlier question of why folks would come well, a couple reasons. Um, crisis, ideally, you know, is when uh, ideally, I think a lot of folks want to come. <laughs> like sometimes, oh, I have a toothache. Oh, hopefully it'll go away. If it keeps coming back, though, why should we wait until it's a root canal? That's how I think about it. Not that a root canal, you know, is not fixable um, or sort of approachable in terms of therapeutic intervention, but there is something to be said about when we sort of catch a behavior so that yeah. it doesn't snowball and spiral into many other behaviors. So mm -hmm. if something's not working in the family unit, if something is um, problematic um, in terms of the relationship between parents and the kid or kid and another kid, right? Or a young professional and their boss. If something um, keeps sort of causing a frustration or a stress, certainly physical symptoms manifest a lot of stomach issues, a lot of unexcused absences, um, a lot of those sorts of things. That might be a time to call better health therapy. On the other spectrum, if somebody, you know, obviously if they're hearing what we're talking about and they're interested in improving the way that they understand themselves and their behaviors so that they can be empowered so that they can take that piece of themselves and really understand for the rest of their life who they are, right? A lot of sort of who am I, a lot of those identity questions are coming up now. That would be another time to call better health therapy. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who could benefit from that, per that just kind of like road that you travel with them to find what it is like unpacking to get to the core of that and seeing what can they do to kind of shift and change so that, you know, potentially they um, can move forward in a way that's different than the way that they've been stuck dealing with something for, you know, however long that that's been for them, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the empowerment piece that I'm so passionate about because I love to let folks know and we're constantly checking in about what are my clinical hypotheses, why I'm doing what I'm doing and ask them, do you think this is going to work? Right. Yeah. Are you, you know, do you think that that's going to be most useful for you? Hmm, you don't. I really appreciate your honesty because here's why I thought it's going to work. Why don't you tell me what you think you're willing to do? What's your willingness, right? And so when we talk about their cycles, right? You know, the stuck cycle of depression, the stuck cycle of anxiety, I often notice that it is, as I mentioned in that earlier metaphor, it is protective of something much deeper, mm -hmm. which is often much more painful. And it's so antithetical because anxiety, especially it masks, it sort of protects the person. And I say the word protecting very intentionally. I'm not using it sort of liberally here. It's very intentional. I really believe anxiety is a protector but it's gone amok. It's gone awry. And so the anxiety, I think, is protective of a lot of these more painful situations or ideas about the self that once we actually examine it, then we can be more flexible. We could start to understand why it happened, why it was internalized, and what do we do about it now? And that's really empowering when you see that transformation in a client or a parent or a kid even, when you could catch it sort of early on in the makings. It's it's life-changing as much as it is for them. 
years for on our yeah. side of it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that also that, and I'm a huge believer that it is really about the fit with the therapist. You know, I work with kids and families all the time. And one of my biggest goals and the reason I'm doing this whole podcast is because I think that the fit with who you're working with for what your needs are and just personality, how you mesh, that is so important in a therapeutic process, in a learning process, um, in, with coaching, just anything that we do, it's about the fit. And so I, I'm really hoping that this interview allows, you know, some uh, potential people who might benefit from a fit with you to um, to hear about your practice. And, um, and I think it's really special and valuable. And the great thing is you're available to people in both California and Colorado. So that's amazing too. Um, especially online, right? Cause you can, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's really exciting to be able to hear how much it's snowing in Colorado and to have the snow <laughs> envy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Dr. Danielle, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your time and, um, I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. All the best to be well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Edu Switchboard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at Jana at jplep.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, I'm here to help.